Well, we start a new series today. Uh, we we did through uh, went through First Peter, and as we went through First Peter, you learned that you are God's chosen people. You have been brought to God by Christ. You are His royal representatives. You are the instrument that He is using in this world. He is bringing the gospel, and He's bringing His kingdom to bear through you. And that's an incredible privilege because you are part of Jesus' death and part of his resurrection. When Christ died, you died to sin. And when he rose back to life, you were given a new life, not just in the life to come, but right now. Because God's spirit lives inside of you. God's spirit has bound himself to you. He's become part of you. And he's now working in you to change you and make you more like Jesus. And he's a guarantee that you're part of of God's new world. Ephesians chapter 1 calls the spirit the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. God's spirit, who's full of wisdom, lives inside of you and is giving you supernatural wisdom to live as God's people right here in the city, right here at this time. And that's crucial because we live in an age of information, not an age of wisdom. We have more information at our fingertips than any other civilization in the history of the world. I mean, think about that. You can look up anything you want to right now. You can have information instantly on your phone. But are we wise? Is our society wise? Would you characterize our country and our culture as being full of wisdom? So there's a difference between information and wisdom. We have information, but... We don't seem to have much wisdom. In the Bible, there's some books that are specifically called wisdom literature. They're all about wisdom. In Israel's ancient wisdom was called Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is full of wisdom. It's pithy pithy little sayings that unpack what it means to live with wisdom. Now, Proverbs are not promises. It's not a guarantee that something will happen. Rather, they're principles. If I tell you, if you drive slow, you won't get in an accident, now that's a principle, not a promise. You might still get in an accident, but you're less likely to if you drive slow. Proverbs are principles, not promises. And they're principles that give us wisdom. And wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. It's skill in the art of godly living. It's, it's, there's some things in scripture that are really clear, like uh, don't commit adultery, uh, don't murder. And those things are really clear, but there's a lot of things where there's not really commands and you have to feel it out as you go, and it takes wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. And you and I really need wisdom. Tripper Longman writes this about Proverbs. He says, Proverbs supposes that everyone makes bad choices along the way. The difference between the wise person and the fool is that the former learns from mistakes and the latter simply refuses to change behavior. Someone who's wise doesn't necessarily get it right all the time. They just learn from their past mistakes and they grow in this art form, this art form of godly living. Proverbs itself takes some getting used to because there's things in Proverbs that seem to contradict themselves. Look at Proverbs 26. These are two verses in a row. It says, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness 
or you'll be like him yourself. But then the next verse says, answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. In other words, if someone's acting a fool, don't say anything to them because they're not going to listen to you. But if someone's acting a fool, say something because they need to change. Which one is it? Well, they're principles. They're not promises. And it, and it takes skill in learning when to apply them. You all know someone that you can't confront because they won't listen. And you all know someone that's acting foolish, but you can confront them. And it's, it's how we apply these principles that Proverbs is teaching us. You know, as we move into this three-week series in Proverbs, we're calling it people skills. Social wisdom from Proverbs for tense times. We're going to look at wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs specifically for our interpersonal relationships, for the social sphere of our lives, how we interact with other people. Because right now, we live in a very tense time when it's just hard to relate to people in your neighborhood, in your work, in your family. We are more divided than we've ever been as a country, and we need God's supernatural wisdom just to know how to be friends with people. In fact, not only do we have more information but lack wisdom, we're more connected to more people than we've ever been. I have thousands of friends on Facebook, but I don't really know them all. We're connected to so many people, but we lack wisdom in knowing how to relate to people in real life. And so we're going to spend a few weeks looking at people skills, social wisdom from Proverbs for tense times. And today, our first sermon is going to be on very simply being a friend. Proverbs unpack so many things, but if you're willing to let it teach you, you can actually learn some of the most basic things of what it means to relate to another person, simply being a friend. I'm going to ask Anjana to come forward, and he's going to read uh, several Proverbs throughout the book, and you can write the references down if you want, but they come from all over the book, and they're going to be specifically on being a friend. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Greater love has no one than this. Had somebody, someone laid down his life for his friends. Amen. Thank you, brother. Simone Clark. Simone Clark was one of 37,000 people who entered in the 2012 London Marathon. 
And although she didn't win, she didn't come close to winning, her completing the race is arguably more uh, impressive than the person who won. Because Simone Clark has epilepsy. She has seizures that she gets. And she wanted to train and run for the 2012 London Marathon, but that she, real she realized that she could not run the 2012 London Marathon unless someone ran with her. And in order for someone to run with her during the actual marathon, they had to train with her because she was at risk the entire 26 miles of falling down and having a seizure. And her friend, Tally Hall, stepped up and said, I'll run with you. I'll train and I'll run the whole marathon with you. I'll prepare. I'll go through all the grueling tasks so that you have someone who can run with you. And the first seven miles of the actual marathon, Simone did great. She was able to keep pace. Nothing happened. But on the eighth mile, her seizures kicked in. And her friend Tally saw what was happening and caught her and laid her down on the ground. And Simone went unconscious for 30 seconds. And after 30 seconds, Tally was able to wake her up, pick her back up, and they continued in the race. What happened over the next 18 miles, though, is pretty amazing. Over the next 18 miles, Simone had 19 more seizures. And each time that Simone had a seizure, her friend Tally would catch her, put her on the ground, and be there with her, and then bring her back to consciousness, pick her back up, and start running the race again. Over the full 26 miles, they had, she had 20 total seizures. Her completion of the London Marathon is arguably more impressive than anyone else's completion because she had a faithful friend, because she had a friend with her. And now you and I hear that story, and there's something in us that just that encourages us to know that there are friends out there who are that committed and that loyal and that faithful who would walk uh, through that situation, they would give themselves sacrificially, they would be faithful and not fair weather. Faithful and not fair weather. One of the things that Proverbs teaches us is that friends are faithful, they're not fair weather friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother, or a sister in this case, is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What a great image of Tally running alongside Simone, and as soon as her body began to convulse, catching her in that moment of adversity and trial, and, and laying her down, and waiting there, and, and on her hand and foot, and bringing her back to consciousness, and picking her up, but doing it over, and over, and over again. That is a faithful friend. I asked people on Facebook this week, tell me what a good friend is. And one thing I saw over and over and over in like 15 comments was loyal. Loyal, faithful. We all long to be that faithful friend, and we all long to have faithful friends. Because it's so easy to be a fair-weather friend, and it's so easy to have fair-weather friends. Proverbs warns us about fair-weather friends in chapter 19 when it says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. That's one of the challenges about being wealthy is you never quite know who your friends are. Because as soon as you get the money, everyone is your friend. The Proverbs is telling us that wisdom, 
The wisdom of being a friend is being faithful rather than fair weather. It says, if you want to be a friend, love not just when it's convenient, not just when you can get something back, but love at all times. Love when the other person has nothing to give you. Love when that person sins against you. Love when that person doesn't offer you anything. Love at all times. Love when there's no reciprocation. Love when it's uncomfortable. Love even when there's pushback. Have you ever had a friend and then some of your other friends say, why are you friends with them? They're not part of us. They don't think like us. They don't look like us. Proverbs saying that wisdom is to be friends even in that time, even if you lose social standing. That is a good friend who's faithful. Love in the midst of hardship. Love your friends even when they can't give you anything. Love them even when their thinking is ignorant. Love them when they don't love you. Because loving at all times is the skill of a faithful friend. Loving at all times is the skill of a faithful friend. And our city needs faithful friends. We are more connected than ever, but more lonely than we ever have been. The Boston Globe talks about, uh, has an article about a man named Dr. Richard Swartz, who did research on loneliness. And what he found was that loneliness increases a risk of health problems. Loneliness can literally kill you. He found that people who were lonely had increased risk of cardiovascular disease, increased risk of stroke, and an increased risk of progression of Alzheimer's, just from loneliness. Over 35 years, they did a study of millions and millions of people, and they found that people who confessed they were lonely or isolated had a 26 to 32% more chance of dying young. Loneliness can literally kill people. And it's so important that we be faithful friends in our city. But Schwartz said in his research, he found one thing. People don't want to confess that they're lonely. Schwartz said, admitting you're lonely feels very much like admitting you're a loser. Psychiatry has worked hard to destigmatize things like depression. And to a large part, it has been successful. People are comfortable now saying they're depressed, but they're not comfortable saying that they're lonely because then you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. You know, when, when someone treats you wrong, you really don't know what they're smiling through. We don't know what they're frowning through. People are hurting in our city. And one of the remedies that God gives is the Christian community to be friends to people who are lonely, to love at all times. Because God himself is in a friendship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. From the beginning of time, God has been in relationship with himself. He's been perfectly harmonious among it, the three persons of the Trinity, perfectly whole, not needing us because they have this perfect friendship. But then when we were created, being made in God's image, we were made for relationship. We were made to be friends because we were made in God's image who is a relational God. And so look, Facebook won't cut it for relationships. We need face-to-face -face relationships, and the people of our city needs face-to-face -face friends. And the thing is, as Christians, you and I have the greatest resource of relationship, and that's the gospel. The gospel is the greatest 
resource for friendship. Because the gospel tells us that we were in rebellion against God. We were not his friends. We scorned him and spurned him, and we lived life our own way. And we were separated from relationship with him. We were separated from him, just like Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden for their sin. When we sin, we have been separated from Christ or separated from God. And God isn't just some random God. He's a righteous God, and he's a just God. And so we don't deserve relationship from him. Actually, we deserve judgment. Even as we're separated now from him, we deserve to be eternally separated from him. But God isn't just righteous and just. He's also loving. And the greatest thing in the gospel is that he sent his son to restore relationship with people who had rebelled against him. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, left that perfectly harmonious friendship he had with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he came to earth, and he was put on the cross, and he was punished in our place. And on that moment, when he was punished in our place, the Father turned his back on the Son. There was no relationship at that point. Jesus gave up relationship with the Father in order that we might be restored to the Father. The punishment that you and I deserve for our separation from God was put on Christ in order that you and I can have a relationship with a holy, righteous, just God. When Christ died on the cross, we were reconciled to God the Father, and he rose from the grave. We were sealed into relationship with God for eternity. See, the gospel is our resource for friendship and relationship because the gospel says you don't deserve relationship because, but because of what Jesus has done, you're sealed in a relationship with God. He's now your friend. He's our God, but he's still our friend. He relates to us. And not only that, he's a faithful friend. Scripture says never will he leave us or forsake us. God is the ultimate example of a faithful friend. Jesus loved us at our worst. Scripture says to love at all times, a friend loves at all times. Think about Jesus and what he did for you in order to restore your relationship with God. While you were in rebellion, he loved you. While you were running away from God, he loved you. He loves at all times. He is the ultimate example of a faithful friend. And as we soak that in and begin to understand that, that changes us and can make us committed faithful people. The first thing Proverbs teaches us is that being a friend is about being faithful. But it also says that being a friend is about being forward or being honest. Being forward or being honest. In Proverbs 27, it's written, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We're in a strange time in our culture where it's hard for us to be forward with people when they're doing something they shouldn't do. Because we live in this time where our culture is highly offended and outrage is the thing, is the, is the cool thing to do. And so we think about being open and forward and honest with our friends when they're going the direction that they shouldn't go and we get intimidated by that. Because we don't want to risk the relationship. We don't want to say something and have someone be offended or say something and have them outrage. But when we do that, 
when we're silent, when we don't actually open up and rebuke when we need to rebuke, we're missing out on an opportunity for that person to grow. We're saying it's more important that I see a problem, but I'm just going to be silent. Rather than an open rebuke, we hide our love. We're afraid of the risk, so we risk the person rather than risking the relationship. But what Proverbs tells us is that honesty, even when it wounds, is the action of a faithful friend. We've got one or the other down in our culture. We are either friends, but not honest, or we're honest without being friends. Friends without being honest is that whole idea of we're afraid to offend because everyone's offended in our culture. And when you offend someone, they retreat from you. And so we're afraid to be honest with our friends, but we're also okay being honest as long as we're not friends. And this is what happens on Facebook all the time, right? On Facebook, this culture of calling people out, people live for mic drop moments where they're like, you're, you're wrong, I'm going to repost this, I'm going to tweet what you did, and I'm going to drop the mic and walk away. Honesty without a relationship. Honesty but without friendship. And it's killing us. Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in our denomination, says, outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good, but over time devour us from the inside out. Except it's even more insidious than most vices, because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as a disagreeable but fundamental, fundamentally healthy reaction to negative stimuli, like pain and nausea rather than admit that it's a shameful kick we eagerly indulge again and again. It is selected specifically to pander to our impulse to judge and punish to get us off on righteous indignation. The radical wisdom of Proverbs is saying that honesty and friendship go together. Honesty without friendship is this, just this outrage addiction that really just feeds into our self-righteousness. But what Proverbs is saying, what ancient wisdom is saying, people skills are about being both friends and being honest. Being honest and remaining as friends. Scott Solves writes a lot about this. In fact, he has two books that I'd recommend. One is called Jesus Outside the Lines, and another one is just called Befriend. Create belonging in an age of judgment, isolation, and fear. Friendship and honesty. Honesty and friendship. I know what some of you are thinking. Like, what about just people who are evil? What about evil that's being done in our society? Are we supposed to be friends with them? We're supposed to be honest with them. And again, this is where that art form of godly living comes out. It's a skill that we learn. Sometimes there are situations that require us to understand a different principle applies. Look what's written here. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations, but those who rebuke the wicked will have the right, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. If you don't call out evil in the world, you'll actually lose friends. And I think a lot of what's honestly happening with the evangelical church in our country is that we have been silent on some evils. And so now, in the eyes of the culture, we're the bad guy because we haven't called out evil that has been done. You've seen that in the past weekend with some of the, the protests that have happened, and people were silent 
when the presence of Nazis was all in the streets. We don't have to, as someone said, Nazis are always bad, right? We don't have to be silent on those things. And when we don't call out evil, when we see it, we lose friends. We lose friends. But it's interesting. Again, Proverbs will wreck our viewpoint because even as it talks about calling out what's wicked, it says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. It's this phrase of, almost intimacy. It's not talking about a romantic gesture, but it's talking about a gesture of moving towards someone. That honest answer is moving towards friendship, moving towards friendship. It, it's, it's something that offers dignity and esteem and vulnerability and love. See, we're called to be honest about evils that are happening in our society, but we're also called to move towards people in love, even when they're committing evil. You see weapons of mass destruction being formed in North Korea. You see people driving cars into crowds in Charlottesville. You and I as Christians are called to be weapons of sacrificial love. We're called to impact people with honesty and friendship and sacrificial love. Because no one is beyond redemption. And actually, an honest friend can lead someone down the process of redemption. Your honesty can actually change someone's trajectory. And that's why a friend is honest. This is Daryl Davis. And in 1983, Daryl Davis was playing keys at a country western bar. And you can see he's an African-American man, and he was playing at a bar that was predominantly white, almost 100% white. And a white man approached Daryl after he was playing the keys and said, you know, for a black man, you play the keys pretty well. And Dale said, well, actually, this style of music comes from the black community. And the guy said, yeah, but you play like Jerry Lee Lewis, who's a white man. And he said, well, listen, Jerry Lee Lewis learned to play from black people. This style comes from the black community. So he was honest, but within the context of friendship. And as he began talking to this white man, the white man confessed, listen, I'm actually a member of the KKK. Conversation killer, right? <laughs> what do you do at that point? Well, Dale Davis saw an opportunity to be forward with a friend. And he moved towards this man. And he got to know this man. And they began a friendship. And this man began connecting Dale Davis, an African-American man, with other people in the KKK in the region. And Daryl decided he was going to write a book about it. And so Daryl, for a moment, wasn't totally honest. He had his white secretary call the, uh, the office of one of the Klan members and say that he wanted to do an interview. And he told his white secretary, don't tell them that I'm black. And they set up a meeting. And of course, there was much surprise on the leader from the KKK when Daryl Davis showed up. It was a very tense meeting. The KKK member brought a armed guard with him, and you can imagine that everything in Daryl Davis wanted to run out of that room, but he decided that he was going to be a friend, and he was going to be forward with his honesty. And he built relationship with this leader to the point where as that leader of the KKK got to know the, the Daryl Davis, the real Daryl Davis, and see his humanity, and hear his honesty, he left the KKK. 
In fact, this member, this former member of the KKK, made Daryl Davis the goddaughter of his daughter. And Daryl Davis began to connect with more and more members of the KKK, over 20. And now Daryl Davis has a closet full of KKK robes. Because as he's pursued people, as he's been forward with them, and as he's befriended them, they have quit the Ku Klux Klan. And they've given him their robes. And it's almost like he has these notches on his belt of people that he has loved sacrificially and been honest with. And by being honest with them and forward with them, he has brought about their redemption. At times, it has required him to be very tactful. There's times when people will sit down with him and actually do violence against him. And there's times when people say ignorant things to him about people of color. But I find that in those stories, he actually continues to be honest and continues to be a friend. He had one member of the KKK say to him something that was just derogatory about people of color. And Daryl Davis right back said, hey, listen, um, I think that white people have a gene in them that makes them serial killers. And the member of the KKK said, no, that's not true. And Daryl Davis pushed a little bit and just said, well, name me someone who's black who's a serial killer. And the guy couldn't do it. And it was a joke, but it was his way of pushing forward and showing his humanity in the context of friendship and being honest with this man. And now Daryl Davis has brought about the redemption of many people. He says that one of the keys in friendship with someone who's different than you is to establish honest dialogue. Honest dialogue. Now, please don't hear me say that this one little story should make us all feel better about the state of race relations in our country. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear me say that this is a model that we all come implement. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that there are not systematic uh, injustices against people of color. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that forward, honest friendships can change people. It can change people. Because when you get that close and you're committed to them in friendship and you're honest, it's like a kiss on the lips. It does something. It changes. Now, you might say, look, that's crazy. And you're right, it is. Daryl Davis sounds kind of like a crazy dude. And the world's too complex and it's too broken and it's, it's too hard to get that up close to people who are different than me. But that's exactly what Jesus has called us into. Scott Sauls also writes, Jesus doesn't call us to, to the simple. He calls us into complexity. The human soul and psyche and mind and emotions are complicated. And if he calls us to anything, it's to enter into the mess that is day-to-day life alongside broken people in the midst of chaotic circumstances. Jesus calls us to love and honesty in friendship. He calls us to be forward as friends with people. And the only way you can do that is if you develop a sense of forgiveness as a friend. We're called to be faithful friends, we're called to be forward friends, but we're also called to be forgiving friends. In Proverbs 17, it says, whoever covers over an offense, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. In the book we just studied in 1 Peter, Peter writes to us and says, love covers a multitude of sins. He's talking about the wisdom of loving forgiveness, 
the forgiveness and love and the love of forgiveness. And that's where our culture utterly falls short. Because our culture isn't about love and forgiveness. Our culture, the best that it has to offer is tolerance. Who wants to be tolerated? Not me. I want to be loved. I want to be forgiven when I wrong you. I don't want to be tolerated. Tim Keller says that tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. And this is the thing. In our culture, we only tolerate people who line up with what we believe. We only tolerate people who we deem worthy of being tolerated. But the forgiving friend forgives whether the other person is worthy or not. The, other, the forgiving friend loves and gives sacrificial love without getting anything in return. I would far rather be forgiven and loved than I would be tolerated. And that's the wisdom of Proverbs. That's what God is calling us to do. And not just the little things, but all things. Look what chapter 10 verse 12 says. Love covers all offenses. Which ones? All of them. Which ones? All of them. Love covers all offenses. When someone walks all over you, forgive them. When someone takes something from you that they shouldn't take and they don't give it back, love them. When someone is ignorant, don't treat them as their sins deserve. Forgive and love. And that's what makes us stand apart as the people of God in the world. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean they can walk all over me? No. That's not what Proverbs is saying. What Proverbs is saying is that wisdom is about not treating someone as their sins deserve. It doesn't mean you have to let them sin against you again. Rather, it is covering over their offense with forgiveness and not treating them as their sins deserve. But that still is risky. Proverbs isn't telling us hot tips on how to be extra nice to the friends you already like. No, it's giving us the wisdom that we need to be the people of God in this city, to love radically, to be faithful to people who are faithless, to be forward with people who are dishonest, to be forgiving for people who embrace evil. It is radical and it is risky, but these are the people skills that Proverbs calls us to, to be the representatives of Jesus right here in Hollywood and Hallandale. That is the wisdom that the world needs. That is the wisdom that the world needs. This will take confidence in God. It will take a willingness to be up close and intentional with people. It will take a sacrificial spirit in order to love and be friends like this. How do you get there? <laughs> I mean, we've just dumped a bunch of stuff on your lap. How do you get there to the point where you can love faithfully, faithfully, where you can be a forward friend, where you can forgive freely. Well, you have to look to the ultimate friend. You have to look to Jesus and how he befriends you. Matthew 11 says, the son of man came eating and drinking and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend, a friend, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down 
his life, for his friends. See, that person that you don't want to be friends with because of the way that they've treated you, you need to flip that and understand that really in this story, Jesus is the good guy who has befriended and sacrificed and laid down his life for you. He has been faithful to you when you have been faithless. He has been utterly forward with you about your sin and yet continued to love you. And he has been forgiving towards you to take all of your sin on himself on the cross. And as you revel in Jesus' faithfulness to you as a sinner, and as you hear his brutal honesty at the same time while he gives you unconditional love, and as you wake up every morning and say, I have been loved by my friend Jesus and shown true friendship from him, as you experience friendship with Jesus, you will go wise in the skill of godly living. You will receive friendship from Christ, and that will change you and make you a friend to others. As we go through the next few weeks, we'll be looking at different things because we really want you to grow wise in the art of godly living. We want you to learn people skills from Proverbs in order that we might be the people of God in the world. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have laid down your life, that you've spent time with sinners, that you've loved us unconditionally. We ask that you would not just make this an exercise mentally, but something experientially, where we wake up every morning and we're reminded that you truly are our friend. And that as we understand your friendship, your sacrificial love, and, and how you've come to us faithfully, that that might internally change us. Make us more like you. Make us friends to others like your friends to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me now and sing?